From You Can Book Me, this is Get More Done, the blueprint for managers to lead happy and productive teams. I'm Ben DeGavage, and my mission is to help you stomp out inefficiencies so you can focus on work that will grow your business. How can you unlock more revenue for your company without creating new products? In this episode, I caught up with Levent Yildizgoran. For more than 30 years, Levent has been helping businesses expand into new markets with his company, TTC We Translate. He and his team are experts in localization. Using his lingo methodology, any company can navigate entering a new part of the world and increasing revenue. He shares the difference between translation and localization, along with the steps to avoid when undertaking a localization project. And we talk about his recent book, Good Business in Any Language. All that and more on Get More Done, starting now. Excellent. Welcome back to the Get More Done podcast. I'm sitting down with Levent Yildizgoran, the author, podcaster, and localization expert. So Levent, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Ben. It's great to be on your show. Yeah, I'm eager to learn all about language and just globalization and all that good stuff with you. But before we do that, we typically start these with a icebreaker question. So the question for you, what's the best vacation you've ever been on? Right, well, interestingly, it was a cruising holiday we had with my family. At the time, my, my daughter was um, 13, my son was um, 17. And uh, yeah, it was the best best holiday. It was a stay one week in Spain and, you know, cruise around Mediterranean, East Mediterranean for one week. It was a brilliant time. Yeah, I do. Uh, as I'm getting older, now I'm sort of, and with the pandemic as well, of course, now that we can't uh, take holidays. Uh, yeah, that was the best vacation that I can think of. Nice. Uh, I'm glad it was good because I imagine two teenagers on a boat, probably, you know, they're just grumbling and <laughs> cranky. But as long as they had fun, then you had fun, right? They had fun. They had fun and we had fun. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I've yet to be on a cruise, but that's on my bucket list. So that's, that's awesome. So so tell me, how did you get started in into getting into language and in translations? Well, it was kind of a little um, accidental, like most things that happened in our lives, like, you know, buying that house is like, could be a chance or accident, not accident, but more like an emotional decision rather than logical. And for us, I'm saying for us, because it's a, I co-founded the company with my wife. But initially, when, I, when we had our first child, my wife didn't want to go back to the full-time employment, but she wanted to do something. So it led her to form a little small uh, a boutique translation company translating from English into Turkish and vice versa. And that, you know, that went on for a few years and kept her busy, little income coming, connecting her to, to the, you know, to the to working world. And around about 1995, it's going back like, you know, nearly 27 years or 20, who's counting? You know? <laughs> and uh, so we had an opportunity to acquire another business. At that point, things started getting really sort of a um, bit, bit much for her to do on her own. And I always wanted to run my own business. I always, it appealed to me. I didn't see dollar signs or pound signs, but it was more like 
being in control of my my and my family's future, you know, being able to make decisions that will, you know, I will, of course, you have to accept consequences when they are your own decisions. But it appealed to me so much. So me and my wife decided that I resigned from my job as a director of a printing company. In two weeks, I was working with her in our, uh, at the time, a part of our living room because we had a job that was quite large and um, we didn't have any chance to book for an office or anything like that. So we had to start working right away. And it was kind of interesting times now, now trying to remember them. And it was time that, you know, we had a mortgage, we had two small children. UK was kind of lurking in the recession. So, and then now thinking about that, you know, that was a very courageous decision, but it wasn't a logical decision. decision. You know, we didn't run Excel charts and looked at Google Sheets and it was like an emotional decision. You know, we said, yeah, we want to do it now. And we did it. And we never looked back. But looking at the uh, the circumstances, now, would I do the same thing again with if I had two small children and the mortgage and the recession? Probably not. <laughs> yeah, so this is this is how it happened. We were doing um, one language and then we added other languages. Uh, we provide uh, translation and localization services in in over 100 languages. And the company is going now. This is our 30th year. Yeah, so it's, it's, we, never, we never looked back. Uh, that's how I got into translation and localization. Nice. Yeah, the humble beginnings of you and your wife just scrapping together. And like you said, there's never a good time to start, but you just dove in and uh, and you got, got it figured out. And in those early days, was it mostly just like documents and things you were translating? Like, because I can't imagine that many people were on the web back in the early 90s. No, no, you're right. And it was a, it was a user guide. Uh, it was a computer-based training for an automotive company. So we were translating their uh, user guides and how to do this, how to check this, and how to service this, and um, and also alongside other documentation, more in the form of user guides, user manuals. And at the time, the you know the web was just taking off, and um, and, and but we still had those um, emails. Email having an email was a little bit of a luxury, but we always fancy technology, and and interestingly. Localization is very much connected to how, how IT is doing. So everything that's taking place in IT, like artificial intelligence, machine translations, is directly affecting our business. And, and we very much continuing to grow because we are integrating them into our processes. So it is very much like combi- combining human talent with whatever is going on in the technical world. Yeah, totally. And I mean, with that that 30 years under your belt, just more evidence of just the globalization of the world and how every, like the world, you know, is becoming more of a more of a flat place. I mean, obviously it's not flat, but I mean, that's debatable <laughs> for some folks, but but it's really yeah. really awesome to see in in just that that track record there. So so when we talk about translations, what's the difference between like just translations and localization? Uh, good question, Ben. Uh, that's 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 great question. Translation is very much taking one. Say, if you think of a, a user guide, taking it source language, which generally is English, into other languages, and you know, translating of course, making it understandable for the target audience. That's is that's very much what the translation is about. It never is just 
translating word for word, because that's the biggest worry for uh, for our customers or anyone who doesn't know the translation industry, which is perfectly fine. So it's, it's making the content in the source text understandable for for the target audience. That's very much the uh, translation. Localization takes is a step step further than that, making everything packaged in a way that target audience never thinks that this is came from another country. So it is getting all the nuances, all the formats suitable for the target audience. What I mean is that, for instance, in the UK, we, we use postcodes, but in, in USA, it is zip, zip code. And, and the way you write addresses are different than how it is written in, in other countries. So when even in English language, localization is critical because a customer in the USA, if they don't understand the address, they will not engage or they will not they may not place that order. You know, they may not do that last transaction, which is the critical one for the company. So localization is taking everything into account, all the cultural aspects, language aspects, data formats, everything else, colors, taking all this into, into account and making the uh, the source text, user guide, marketing message, whatever that might be, available for the target audience that target audience look at the text and say, oh yeah, that's fine, that's great. Because the moment somebody understands that it's a translation, that means the the translator's task, task is failed. It should never be for the reader. They want to read something in their own language and they want to get the message. And that's how it should be, whether it is translated or or written originally. So this is the kind of difference between translation and, and, and localization. Sure. So it should just be a seamless experience for that consumer of whatever that is, of not even knowing that it was translated. I, lo- I love that point that you said, like, if you can spot it's a translation, then the translator failed at their job to, to do that because yeah, they didn't yeah. take into account something and kind of broke the, the mirror, essentially, um, with that. So yeah, that, that makes yeah, total sense. Yeah. Now, why, why is it important for a company to embrace internalization or what is the benefit for them, I guess? What's the benefit? Good, good question. Um, you know, when, when we are running our own businesses, most business executives, business owners, we are too busy looking at the profit and loss accounts and, and trying to cut costs, trying to make more profits by trying to cut costs. And, you know, sometimes we get too hooked up on that. And going to another market, expanding into another export market is actually the best way to grow a business. You know, by, there's nothing wrong with trying to control the cost. Don't, you know, I don't want to mislead or give the wrong impression to, to the listeners. It's very important to control the cost because we haven't got money to waste. You know, we have to we have to work really hard <laughs> for for the money we are earning, and uh, you know, and most business owners will work uh, six days if not more, and you know, the the business doesn't stop at half past five in the evening or or you know. So this is very common to work all these all the hours. So the getting the cash is is hard enough. And it's important to control the cost. But when we focus on that too much, we miss other opportunities. So growing into another 
export market is one of these opportunities. Great example is like when Apple said 2009, we are taking iPhone to Chinese market. Their shares grown straight away on just on that point. Because stock market knows that a company goes into another country, there's a fresh set of audience that have never experienced that product. So there is a great potential, almost like doubling your growth. Well, for China, it's probably quadrupling your growth because of the millions of potential customers. So for business owners, business executives, expanding, looking to expand into a new export market is one of the best decisions they can possibly do because of the rewards that it can bring to the to the business. And it is it's the same thing whether it's a product-based business or service-based business because there are very good examples of both making huge success internationally. Yeah, that makes total sense of that. Expanding your business globally and doing it effectively can signal more sales if it's done done right. So on that note, what, what mistakes have you seen companies make when they're trying to do this? Or um, what would you say to like avoid those types of mistakes to help save time to be more efficient in this process? Very good. Very good question. Very good question, uh, Ben. Because, um, you know, working with dozens of customers over the years, we are coming across mistakes Sadly, most of them are the similar mistakes that companies keep doing over and over again. That's what led me to, to write my book. Having witnessed successful businesses growing internationally and seeing the benefit of them, and also looking at some global brands and how they are doing it, the biggest differentiator between a business being successful and business making mistakes seems to be the framework they are adapting or the lack of framework. So the methodology, if they use a methodology to for their growth, is that they seem to be a lot more successful than a company just heading into a new market, thinking that what worked in our domestic market will work in our will, will work in any country. That that seems to be the biggest um, what's the word like an assuming that what works in your domestic market will work in another market. That seems to be the biggest um, uh, mistake that, that I'm coming across. The other thing is not following a methodology. When companies follow a methodology, you know, take those steps, and often they are simple steps, but making this, you know, uh, a, a, an agenda and making sure that every single step is uh, taken care of before they take the final step seems to be working really well. Yeah. And apart from like uh, having a methodology, um, what other things would a company need to consider before, before looking at localization or expanding into new markets? Yes. We, we, we both know this is not easy to earn, earn our money. So before departing with any cash, yes, it's important to, to make all the considerations. I believe a methodology is really important. And in my book, I talk about five simple step lingo model. It says five steps. The most important one is research, research stage, learning about the market. Is this new market viable for our product or service? Is it going to work for us to invest in that market? So that stage is the most critical stage. And on that stage, 
it is possible to evaluate or assess multiple markets. I'd like to expand into Germany. I could consider Austria because it's close by and also it's in German. So, you know, there's the similarities. I could expand into uh, Spain, Portugal, well, because they're so close. And, you know, so the proximity is important. So it could be helpful for at that stage to evaluate a couple of markets and then compare which one is more beneficial. Often, this can be done on a desk-based research. So, yes, okay, it will be easier to go there and research it. That's fine. That's perfectly fine. But often, that costs money, takes time, and you have to do a few other, few more preparations. And often, it's not necessary. You know, we have Google Google for this. We can check Google Trends, Google key, use a Google Keyword Planner, Google Research to gauge the demand for that product or service. So that could be as simple as that. And once, once we establish that there is actually a market for this product or service, then we can we need to move into the second stage. Second stage is information gathering. And this is about the uh, analyzing the potential of the market and, um, and going a bit more in-depth so, to see what is there. This is essential for assessing the marketing potential because we shortlisted the company because we did the Google research keyword tool and Google Trends. And then we, we say, okay, there is a demand for our product or service in that market. Now, on that second stage, it's actually going a bit deeper. And what is the marketing uh, marketing requirements? And what is the distribution channels? You know, if it is a if you are a service-based business, will VAT be applicable to to your services? You know, if you were to operate in this country, are you going to be going to? Do you have to be registering? Do you have to register for VAT? This is the stage that to look into all these details to make sure that there are no surprises, um, because you know. I know a company just after Brexit happened, a company who sells to consumers in Europe, a UK-based company that is selling consumers in Europe. Now that with after the Brexit, the VAT comes into the equation. So they, it's no longer viable for them to sell to the EU market because VAT is 20%. And by the time they add 20%, to their prices, they, they outprice themselves and they couldn't possibly absorb 20%. You know, so it kind of strikes out that that market for them altogether. So is this applicable to you as well? So if it's a service-based business or, or product, what are the VAT regulations? And to understand all that steps are very important. The third step is navigating the market, which is the pre implementation step. This is the step that you start planning. If you export products, this is fine. This is the time to find local distributors or arranging uh, storage facilities. Are you going to be working with and also time to decide you're going to is it best to work with distributors, best to have a representative or use an online marketplace? There are 
thousands of marketplaces. And a business executive, if they assume that it's just Amazon or, or eBay, it'll be a big mistake because in in countries specific, there are country specific, even product specific marketplaces. For China is okay, it's Alibaba and JD Digital. But if you're selling uh, luxury goods, then there is another marketplace, by the way, which is also owned by, by Alibaba. But it's important to be aware of this. In Poland, there is a different marketplace that takes the a tangible size of the market, uh, country marketplace. So just assuming that it will be Amazon or, or eBay will be a mistake. This is, this is why the pre-implementation stage is important, to look at all these um, uh, systematically. I've seen a, an example, rather bad example, of a very good company with an incredible product having failed in Polish market because they didn't make enough research. They didn't, they just bypassed the uh, step one, step two. They just went into implementation stage. Because somebody said to them, look, this product will do great in, in, in Poland. And they, they, they had a kind of, they, it was easy mistake for them to, to do because they, their product sells really well in the UK. But for some reason, it didn't in Poland. Now, could they have found this sooner or earlier? I mean, who knows? But chances of them Spotting this a lot earlier is very high by following those step one and step two. In business, we all know nothing is guaranteed. <laughs> you know, I wish it was, but nothing is guaranteed. So until we take that step, we never know whether that's going to be success or not. You know, but I suppose that's the, that's the fun part of it anyway. You know, the, the unknown and, and making it happen is the biggest buzz that that uh, business owners get, you know, making a success of it. And and the fourth step is going, of course, operational. This is the implementation stage, step where all previous three steps come together. And this is important to do this in a timely manner. You know, companies who take too long to do this may lose motivation. The data they have may get outdated. Or, and the worst case is a competitor may step in. So, you know, it'll be, it is so, it'll be so easy to miss that opportunity. So that stage has to be uh, taken in a timely manner. And, and the step five is, last step is open for business, which is the running and monitoring step. This is, okay, the operations are going. It's important to monitor the progress and making changes to suit the changing, changing circumstances. So it's not like assuming that, okay, it started working, now it will work all the time. Monitoring this is very important and then making adjustments as necessary. So this is the kind of five steps that can be applicable in any business, whether it is product-based or service-based. Wow, that yeah, that lingo uh, model—it's very comprehensive. And in, I mean, in your book, you go more in depth than that. The good business in any language, and you mentioned um, briefly when we talked before that you have a free download for folks to to check that out, and that's at Levent.team. Is that right? That is correct. 
I'd, I'd be, I'm very happy to offer this to your listeners. Visiting Levent.team, they can download the uh, free version, at uh, free ebook version of the book. And there are also a couple of goodies, totally free of charge. And also we have a Facebook group that any ambitious or curious, because curiosity is so important, you know, to be curious about finding out things. So the Facebook group is very much for that where people can ask questions, listen to the conversations, and we put out some interesting uh, uh, posts about cultural and language effects. So it's, it's a platform for them to get started and, of course, ask questions. Yeah, it starts with that curiosity, and, and I'm sure having that community of just um, people going through the process as well, because as you went through, like that five step, you know, seems pretty straightforward, but that's a lot of work that maybe some folks need to do and figure out. And one question I had kind of on the back end of that, of that ongoing, you know, upkeep of that. So is that like um, a business would need to constantly be marketing within that localized, you know, world now that they're entered. So that has to be a continual thing that they're working on. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's so important. I mean, one example that, that I, I heard and it made total sense you know, we know about Google. Everyone knows about Google, how big company they are. And if I purchase, if I want to purchase Google AdWords and open an account and start some, you know, putting money into the account, I'll have a phone call in the next day. You know, if Google is not taking any chances for my business and considering how big they are, how rich they are, then that's a that's a really you know that says that says the limits because if they can't if they are not taking any chances to for for somebody's business then small businesses have must do this all the time you know and and marketing and sales is is part of that so we we've set in a country expanding in the country regularly advertising selling and monitoring the progress is so important and I mean if if Google has feels that they have to do it then you know I have no excuse not to do it for for my business. Yeah, it makes makes total sense. Now, what's um I mean a typical cost with like translating a website and maybe maybe that ongoing stuff too of because I assume if you're expanding into a new market in the new language, new localization, you may not have somebody internally that can help support that, so you have to go external. So what what does the cost usually look like for that? Yeah, yes. I mean the planning part is so important because, you know, a company, most companies have websites and it, it takes years to build a website. And, and, and we have lots of information, we add information. Now, the most important part here when it comes to getting a website into another language is that what is our purpose for translating that website, localizing that website for that target audience? I think... Some com companies are missing that question. And what they do is, the biggest mistake I come across, they want a quotation to complete the whole website. Now, that is a big mistake. It wastes their money, it wastes their time, and it, it often doesn't serve a purpose. A company wants to expand into Japan or, or, or one of the European countries. Now, which product or service they will be marketing for their target audience. Once they establish that, they need to have their localization strategy built around that. Often, a landing page may be sufficient. 
you know, if they're just going to test the market for one or two products, and they may have 20 products or even more. So what is the point of putting all the products in that website? And that could end up confusing the uh, customers. So whatever, that's why the, the initial steps are so important that they say, okay, we've got these three products that we want to target for the customers in, in Japan. Why? Because it's the most suitable following our market research. Then building a localization strategy around that will solve, will save them a lot more money because they may need a landing page, a contact form, and the, and the order form, all in the same, all in the target languages. And, and cost of that will be, will be minimal considering what they have already spent on their English website. And most importantly, when a, somebody visits the, that, that landing page, they will have concise and, and fit-for-purpose information for them to make a purchasing decision. So the cost is normally based per thousand words. But I think when people stick stay on that per thousand words price, that's when they make wrong decisions. Because in most websites, there's thousands of words. The thing is, you don't need thousands of words <laughs> to attract attention of the potential customer. Now, once you do, once you're established there, now it is time to spend money. But that's perfectly fine because once there's revenue coming in from that market, then of course it is important and critical to keep providing information in that target language because customers are four times more likely to make a purchasing decision if they receive the information in their own language. So this has been kind of proven. And if you look at like global brands such as Apple, Samsung, Facebook, I mean, Facebook is the, you know, such a big organization. Why? Because they appear in over 100, I think 135 or 150 languages. Last time I checked, they appear in those languages. Take away the languages, Facebook will be like, okay, still be a large company, but not the world leader in social platforms. It was only because they became to that level by adding languages to their platform. So it is proven, it is really, it really works, but it's important to follow a strategy so that the money, you know, there's no need to waste money or time to get things done unnecessarily. Yeah, that makes total sense to start start small and maybe have a more focused approach with it because that constraint of that thousand words or, you know, just making your message more concise makes total sense. And that, that staggering statistic of four times more likely to make a purchase if it's in your language, like that's that's phenomenal. And I mean, on, on that, is it is it also important, you know, to then provide support in that native language for those customers? Or is that, you know, kind of a bit too jarring if it's not? Like, let's say I purchase in this Japanese website and I go and get the product and now I'm dealing with customer service that's in English. Is that is that ever a problem? That, that feel, I think, so important that what you mentioned there, Ben, is so important. I think the, the, the product information and after sales support needs to be aligned 
you know, it's again going back to the five simple steps. On these steps, th- this alignment is necessary. There are certain products may not require that sort of alignment. But if it's a, if it's a product, I mean, just imagine you, you're buying this expensive product and, and iPhones are, are really expensive. So you buy this expensive product, but you can't get any support in your language when you have a problem. Just imagine how disappointed that customer will be, and rightly so, because they, they bought this product believing that it will work for them, and if it doesn't, someone will help them. So this alignment is so important. And um, But there are brands, so innovation and creativity is, is so important. I mean, I love um, IKEA's model. Most of the user guides that comes in IKEA is pictures only. So they, because they sell in so many dozens of countries, you know, they found that solution of using, providing pictures for instructions to put furniture together. How great is that? You know, why should a company spend money on translation or localization unnecessarily? It's, I mean, I, I consider this as my job to advise them not to, if I believe that it's not going to serve any purpose. And that is why I believe our industry, you know, localization industry, needs to be accountable to the customers. Because if it is not going to serve a purpose, they shouldn't do it. You know, and IKEA has a good solution for that purpose. But going back to your solu- uh, question, yes, I think after sales, care needs to be aligned with the information that was provided in the first place. It is so critical. Yeah, just continuing that relationship and just that understanding that, you know, you welcomed them in and now you can can fully support them. That makes total sense. So so I want to take a moment and just talk about your own personal productivity because you're a very busy guy. So how do you manage your day? And do you have any any processes in place to, to help streamline things? Well, I mean, I'm learning every day and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of reviewing this every day because uh, I noticed that, you know, there's so much new stuff coming up that can be useful. Um, but one thing that for sure that, that I've discovered a few years ago, and well, many years ago, is that having a good team in place that shares the same values and shares, shares the same culture, you know, organization culture, is, is one thing that I would recommend to any, any, any business owner or business executive. I have a great team in place, that that you know we share the same same values so the company values are so important and that's what keeps us together but even if we are even now it's more important because we are all working remotely at the moment in our company and um, so it is this these values that is keeping us together so for me having colleagues in place and not doing any micromanagement is so important for me because then I can, you know, get on with the tasks that I have in, in my hand. And I know that my colleagues are doing the same thing. If anybody needs any help, they, they feel, or if they, somebody makes a mistake. I mean, who doesn't make mistakes? What's important is that when the team members feeling secure enough that to come forward and say, look, I made a mistake. How can we sort this out? And, uh, 
So having this environment, I think, is, is the most important part. And the rest is really trying to find new things. And one thing that I, I'd love to share is the, is the colors that I started using. On my um, calendar, I'm using um, like four, four colors. So when I previously, when I looked at my calendar, it was a lot of text. It was so hard to get. And you have to check each one. You know, what's this about? What's this about? Now I've got colors. For personal, it is green. Any uh, meetings that I have is red. Strategy time is black. And any team meetings in blue. So when I look at it, oh, got, got, got a meeting coming up. Or, you know, so having stuff like that, I'm finding it very, very useful. But I didn't invent this myself. I learned it from another entrepreneur. So, so you know, these podcasts, I find, I'm finding them uh, very useful in that respect because every time I speak to somebody, I learn something like I did with you. You told me about this. <laughs> Do not disturb <laughs> feature on, on a Mac, which I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know. Now I'm, you know, something simple, but it saves a lot of time. Instead of going to each application to turn off the notifications, I can just go do not disturb. And I know that job is done. <laughs> so, so thank you, by the way. Thank you for that. I think it's keeping an open mind. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Glad to share some, some tips. And, and, and thank you for your tips, too, because that color coding the calendar, I think that a lot of people could find value in that because then it's a quick glance. So you don't have to spend a lot of brain power, burn a lot of calories to figure out what you need to do. To your point of having a, um, you know, a strong team around you that can work autonomous and do the things they need to do to help out and have those shared values. That's, that's great, great, great advice, too. Um, so, so what's next for you? What's on the horizon? Well, interesting, interesting question, Ben. Yeah, thank you for asking. Now, to in order to write my book, I stepped back from my company, and one of my colleagues became an acting managing director. That was last April, and October I published the book, and then we said, "Look, guys, this works really well. So why why don't we make this permanent?" So my colleague who was the acting managing director. Now she became the managing director. And I've, I've taken a role more like a coaching consultant type of role. And um, I'm, I'm still working for the company, but working on the company, not, not in the company. And, you know, putting my expertise and experience into use in a, in a way that is best for the company. So my colleague who is the managing director can tell me, look, okay, we need this. Then I work on that one. Or it could be a, a somebody that requires similar services that, or similar have sh uh, sharing problems that we've been through that I can help them. You know, so it is a, it gives me a little bit more, more time to do stuff in a, in a slightly different uh, level, which I'm grateful because it is just, um, it is, it is how, how we scale up, you know, doing the same job. Okay, I love my job. I could do this till, you know, till cars come on. That's, that's fine. But scaling up is even more fun because then I can see that my team is developing into, into roles that they haven't done before. And that's a great satisfaction to see the team around me developing themselves. Yeah, that's really awesome to hear that, um, you know, you were able to step step away and step into a new role. And that, that's really great because a lot of entrepreneurs maybe not have that ability because they haven't figured out how to delegate or, or get, get good people in those positions. 
So we, we talked earlier about the free download at levent.team, L-E-V-E-N-T.team, but where can folks go to learn more about everything that you and your team are working on? Well, thank you. Thank you for asking, Ben. I'm very easily found, foundable on, on LinkedIn. I'm very happy, would be happy very to connect with your listeners or if, a, if anybody has any question, they could come forward and ask me without any obligation. I'll be only happy to speak with them. And um, we have a website, company website, ttcvtranslate.com. That can be, that's on on internet. But LinkedIn is probably the best place for for people to con- contact me. And I'll be only happy to speak anything to do with international expansion, localization, or translation. Yeah, absolutely. So if anybody looking to conquer the world, Levent is your man. You can find him on LinkedIn, and we'll put the links in the blog post that we'll release on, on our site as well. So Levent, Yildiz Goran, thank you so much for your time and being on Get More Done. It was a pleasure to learn about localization with you, and I hope you have a good rest of your day and have a good rest of your week as well. Thank you very much, Ben. It has been total pleasure. It was great being on your show. Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you, sir. Have a good one. Thanks. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Get More Done. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite platform to get updates of future episodes. Want to be a guest? Reach out to community at youcanbook.me or visit getmoredone.youcanbook.me. If you or your team want to automate your scheduling, sign up for a free two-week trial at youcanbook.me. What will you do with all the time that you save?